We all have 24 hours in a day, but doesn't it feel like so much less? I mean, how much of that time is actually discretionary time? Not a lot, right? Most of our time is spent by doing the things that we have to do. We wake up, we get ready, we eat breakfast, we rush out the door to work, or we work from home, or we rush out to school, or we do school from home. Maybe we chase kids around all day. And then we make dinner. We get ready for the next day. If there's any spare time, maybe we'll hit the gym or hit the couch or just go straight to hitting the pillow. Fall asleep, wake up, and do it all again. Now, maybe some days aren't quite so jam-packed, but those feel few and far between. Most days are a grind. So I know for some of us, the last thing we think, the last thing we think we can squeeze into our schedules is the love language of quality time. For some of us, quality time, even just those words feel like a burden, if we're honest. Maybe it just feels like one more thing that we don't have the margin or energy for. But for others of us, quality time is essential. It's our lifeline. It's the thing that we look forward to most in the chaotic swirl of the day. We look forward to this reprieve, this, this precious gift of time spent with the loved ones we love most. And And it's actually the love language of quality time that's the way we feel the most loved. We're in this series on the five love languages where we're learning how we best receive love and how to love those around us better and more intentionally. So today we're going to explore the love language of quality time, what it isn't, what it is, and hopefully leave with some tips or best practices for how to speak this love language to the people in our lives. But first, I want us to see what the Bible has to say about quality time. So we're just going to be in one passage today. This is a story from Jesus's life recorded in the gospel of Luke. Luke says this, Jesus and his disciples went on their way. Jesus came to a village where a woman named Martha lived. She welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary. Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was busy with all the things that had to be done. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Don't you care? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Really only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will be not, and it will not be taken away from her. Now we preach this passage kind of a lot. If you've been around church or the Bible a while, you're probably familiar with this passage. Maybe you've read these words a hundred times, but have you ever thought about this story in terms of love languages? Now, we said week one, the term love languages is not in the Bible. Mary and Martha were not thinking in terms of love languages. Jesus probably wasn't either. But given what we know now, when we look back at this story, isn't it pretty clear? Martha seems to have the love language of acts of service. We haven't talked about that one yet, but sneak peek, it's about serving others in tangible ways. And this is exactly what we see Martha doing here. She's serving, 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 doing all the things that need to be done for Jesus to have a nice stay at their home. Meanwhile, Mary's love language appears to be quality time. She isn't helping Martha because she's sitting with Jesus, listening to what he has to say. Now, in this day and in this culture, it would have been much more appropriate for Mary to be doing all the things that Martha was doing, not sitting with the men listening to the teachings of a rabbi. But far from condemning Mary, Jesus affirms her desire for spending quality time with him. He knows that her sitting and listening is an act of love to him. 
the love languages are not just for humans to learn how to love each other well, and, and they're not just one-sided in how God loves us, but they're actually something that we can use in our love and worship to God. And I think one of the easiest love languages that we can use in our worship to God is the love language of quality time. We say each week that this is a love language experiment, that we're all just learning about the five love languages and we're practicing them on people each week. But what if we take a couple minutes right now to speak the love language of quality time to God? Now, I know we haven't explored in depth what it means yet, but I think intuitively we can figure it out a little bit um, just for this. So we're going to spend two minutes of time with God on our own. This is where you'll need your Bible today. So grab that, have it next to you. Anne is going to play some music, and we'll throw a few prompts on the screen to guide your time so you're not totally on your own, but we're just going to take two minutes to spend time with God, because spending time with God is not complicated. It's actually really simple. It's just about being together. It's about you talking to him and listening for what he might have to say to you, either through his word or just the Holy Spirit prompting in your heart. So let's take the next two minutes and spend some quality time with God. back together here. We're going to take a closer look now at the love language of quality time. Listen to how Dr. Gary Chapman, the author of the five love languages, describes quality time. He says, if your sister invites you to go see a movie with her, it could be that she's really interested in that movie, or it could be that she just wants to spend time with you. If her love language is time, then the activity choice isn't significant. Trade meeting for coffee or going on a bike ride for watching a movie, and she's just as happy. What matters is the time together. That can be a hard lesson to learn for people who have other love languages. For example, a gifts person might show up at the theater with a box of her sister's favorite candy and then dash out as soon as the movie ends. 
A words person might fill up the car ride with words and then text friends during the movie. A service person might show up to the movie late because he was busy dropping off his sister's overdue library books. A touch person might give his sister a bear hug and then fall asleep during the previews. And all these well-meaning people would miss the point. The person who craves time just wants you. Your time, your attention, your company. Many of us are so task-oriented that we can't even fathom the idea of slowing down and giving someone the old-fashioned, priceless gift of time. But for many people, that's precisely what makes them feel loved. I want to dispel a couple myths about quality time. These are three things that we may be tempted to believe about quality time that just aren't true. Myth number one, quantity time equals quality time. Quantity time does not equal quality time. We're in a pandemic. So I hear people joking all the time about how much quality time they're spending with family or roommates after being quarantined for almost a year now. They joke about how they're so sick of all this quality time. And maybe they are spending large chunks of quality time together, but maybe they're not. Just because you spend a large quantity of time with someone does not automatically equal spending quality time with them. You can spend a lot of time with someone and there's a good chance that none of that would be considered quality time. Myth number two, being in the same room as someone equals quality time. So this is related, but quality time is not just being in the same room as someone. Here's how Gary Chapman describes it. People who crave time want togetherness. That's not the same as proximity. Two people can be in close proximity and ignore each other completely as if the other human doesn't exist. Being together involves giving someone your focused, undivided attention. As humans, we have a fundamental need to connect with others. We may be surrounded by other people all day long, but that doesn't mean we feel connected. Myth number three, I don't have time for quality time. So we said at the beginning, we all have the same amount of hours in a day, and though it feels like our time is limited and that we're stretched way too thin, the truth is that we all find time for the things that we think are important. The way we spend our time reveals what we value most. And if there's someone significant in our lives whose primary love language is quality time, we have to figure out how to make time to spend with that person. Because if we don't, it'll be costly. Here's the trade-off. Either you make time for this person or they will not feel loved. Even if you speak all of the other love languages to them, without you giving them your time, they won't feel loved. So what is quality time? Here's a definition Chapman uses in one of his books. Quality time is intentional, deliberate time spent with a person to make the individual feel loved. Quality time requires full, focused, undivided attention. There can be no distractions and no interruptions. There can be no multitasking. Quality time people can see right through that. They know if someone is giving them their full attention or if they're distracted by something else. Quality time only counts when it is focused, intentional, deliberate, undivided attention. You know what I think the number one barrier is to quality time? I don't actually think it's our lack of discretionary time. That may be a barrier for you, but it's probably not the number one. I think the number one barrier to quality time is our addiction to technology. We can't put away our phone like off away in another room, not just vibrating in our pocket or on the table in front of us so we can still see it light up if we get a notification. We can't put away our phone 
long enough to give someone the gift of quality time. Or we can't turn off the TV long enough. Did you know that some people actually like having the TV on, just like going in the background, just adding chaos and noise to any environment for no reason? If you happen to be one of those people, you are the worst. Technology is the arch nemesis of quality time. In order to spend quality time with someone, we've got to step away from the TV and the phone and the tablet, put it all away. Why? So you can focus. Quality time is intentional, deliberate, undivided time spent with a person in order to make them feel loved. Now Gary describes two different dialects of quality time. Just like the languages we learn how to speak may have distinct dialects, some of the love languages have dialects as well. And this can differentiate two people who have the same love language but speak it slightly differently. They give and receive love in just slightly different ways. So here's the first dialect of quality time. The first dialect is quality activities. And this is the dialect we saw in Gary's passage where he describes two siblings attending a movie together. And there are three essential ingredients that make up a quality activity. This is what they are. The essential ingredients in a quality activity are one, at least one of you wants to do it, two, the other is willing to do it, and three, both of you know why you're doing it, to express love by being together. The activity itself doesn't really matter. It's not about the activity, it's about being together. So I'll betray my hand a little bit here. My primary love language is quality time. And I don't think that this was ever as apparent than when I was in seminary, which is just a fancy word for grad school for people wanting to become pastors or counselors or pursue academics in the field of Bible or theology. So I went to seminary after college. It's actually why I moved to Denver. I went to Denver Seminary. And I lived in one of the on-campus apartments with two roommates. And I loved my roommates. They were some of my best seminary friends. But one semester, they had class on Wednesday night, and I didn't. I was working at another church at the time, so I did have a Wednesday night commitment, but I got home before they did. And this is how you know that my love language is quality time. Are you ready? Am I ready? This is a little bit embarrassing to share, but I am going to share it because I love you. One night. When I got home, and they weren't home yet, I was so sad that I actually just laid down on the floor. Like, right when you walk in the front door, there was me on the floor, just laying there. Like, face down, totally sprawled out, sad, waiting for them to come home for probably a good, like, 30 minutes, like a dog. And actually, as I think about it, I think I did that not once, but twice. Um... They always made fun of me for that, and you can too. I know it's a little bit ridiculous, but this is the image I want seared into your brain of someone whose love language is quality time. We don't want words. We don't want gifts. We don't want acts of service. I mean, we do. Like, we still need all these things too, but what we really want, what we really, really want more than anything else is just you hanging out with us. The activity doesn't really matter. In seminary, our activity of choice was playing Skippo, and I don't think I had played that game since I was like seven, but first semester, one of my roommates breaks out this deck of Skippo cards, and we were hooked. I mean, we would run home between classes to get in a few rounds before jetting off to something else. We spent countless hours just sitting around our dining room table, either me with my roommates or with other friends we would invite in, just playing Skippo and talking and laughing and listening to music and singing along. 
one day I was playing with two friends and we were singing along to some music and then a Taylor Swift song came on. I think it was, we were never, ever, ever getting back together. That song was big at the time. And we broke into this spontaneous three-part harmony and then we looked at each other and we were like, oh, wow, we really need to get a life. Um, one of the friends playing was a guy, so I think he was especially embarrassed at his intimate knowledge of T-Swift. But quality activities. It can be anything. The activity itself doesn't really matter. What matters is that you're spending time together. This isn't rocket science. Just find an activity that you want to do or the other person wants to do and spend time together doing an activity. Just being together is what will communicate your love and care. Being willing to do an activity that doesn't really interest you is a key to this love language. Embrace an activity you may not find particularly intriguing. Enter into the other person's world. I know some of you are introverts and you're probably still hung up on something I said a minute ago because you cannot fathom that someone would just lay on the floor waiting for their friends to get home. Being home by yourself is your dream. I get that. But introverts are not off the hook for learning to speak this love language. Whoever you are, whatever your personality, whatever your natural tendencies or habits or leanings, if you have someone in your life who is important to you and their love language is quality time, then you need to learn how to make time to spend with that person, whether or not you are desiring or craving it, even if it drains your energy, even if it means doing an activity that you don't totally want to do. There's a learning curve in every love language. Learning to speak these languages means learning new skills or new ways of being that may not come easily to us. But we do it for the sake of these people that we love so that we can learn to love them in the way that they best receive our love. I'll say one more thing about this dialect. One of the best parts of quality activities is just that you make memories together. When I look back at this time in seminary, I think of it so fondly because all the dumb, random stuff my friends and I did together, it was the time we spent together that mattered. It was such a special season of life because I had this group of friends I loved hanging out with and we gave each other the gift of our time. The second dialect of quality time is quality conversation. So instead of spending time doing an activity together, this dialect is about spending time talking and listening. And sometimes quality conversation is nothing more than just shooting the breeze. The topic of conversation isn't all that important. What matters is you're spending time together. So try this out. Next time you're with a quality time person, take a few minutes to just sit and have a conversation with them. Grab a glass of lemonade and sit out on the porch or... I guess it's January, grab a mug of hot chocolate and curl up by the fireplace and just ask them questions. Ask them anything. It can be super random and just fun. Come up with questions that will help you get to know them. And you may know them already really, really well, but the point of love languages is to make people feel known and loved. So ask questions. Ask with the goal of learning something new. And they can just be silly or they can be more serious. You can ask about their preferences. Would you rather questions are great for this? The other night, Phil and I were sitting and watching TV. Number one barrier to quality time. But I managed to sneak in a little bit of quality conversation anyway because I just started asking him, would you rather questions? And he was watching the news, so I asked, would you rather be a newscaster or a sports announcer? And then I asked, sports announcer or player? Basketball player or football player? Just kind of narrowing it down in just a hypothetical dream job scenario. Another night I was sitting and we didn't have the TV on this time and I asked him, what would you put on your pizza if pepperoni wasn't an option? 
And then he asked me, what band would you want to see perform live? <laughs> I didn't know. And the first thing that came to my head was the Backstreet Boys. And I didn't plan on sharing that, but I just did. So, oh, well. Um, these conversations are kind of pointless, except that they give you a little window into this person who you care deeply about. Just a little glimpse into their thoughts and feelings and desires, and they uncover things you may not have known about them. The topic of conversation, again, isn't that important. If you know someone and their quality time, the point is to get better at sitting and asking them questions and letting them ask you questions and being willing to share openly your thoughts, feelings, and desires. You can ask them about their hopes and dreams, both the real serious stuff and the fun bucket list item type things. Um, if you're really good, you'll stash away ideas from that conversation for later to do quality activities with them. Hot tip. Sometimes all it takes to fill up the love tank of a person whose love language is quality time is just to sit with them and talk. And this may come naturally to you, or you may have to work at it. If you're a very reserved person, then quality conversation might actually be a skill that you need to hone. You may need to learn how to open up and express your thoughts and feelings and desires to another person. Or if you're not very in touch with your emotions, maybe the challenge for you is learning to identify what it is you're even feeling, being able to name emotions so that you can then express them. The more you can learn how to do this, the more the quality time people in your life will feel loved. Here's just a fun idea. So last week we talked about gifts and there are different gifts that will appeal to people of different love languages. We didn't really talk about that, but if you have a quality time person in your life and you want to get a gift for them, a conversation starter set might be a good gift. Have you seen these? They're like decks of cards with a get to know you question on each card, or there's books of questions if you're not into the card idea, but this is just a cool gift because you'll discover questions that you would have never thought to ask yourself. And bonus gift, because if you sit and do it with the person and ask each other these fun questions, then you're spending quality time with them, which is always the best gift to give to a quality time person. Now, there are some specific conversations that may need to be had, more serious conversations, conversations that require a little bit more of you. And these types of conversations usually come up if someone is upset and facing a problem or they find themselves in a situation or something bad that's happened to them, or they might even be upset with you and something that you did that hurt them, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Chapman has eight tips to help guide these types of conversations, and specifically the tips are for the listener. Now, we all know about active listening, right? Well, just in case you need a refresher, here you go. There's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're out... not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy 
I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just... Don't... Try to speak things my way. All right. That video is so cringy to me. I totally relate to the mentality of wanting to fix things, especially when it seems like the solution to someone's problem is so obvious, right? But even when that's the case, usually the most loving thing to do is not to provide quick fix answers, but to just listen. Here are Gary's eight tips for learning to listen. Some of these apply to any conversation, but most will be specifically for more serious types of conversations. So tip number one, maintain eye contact. That's for any conversation, really. Maintaining eye contact when you're listening to someone keeps your mind from wandering and helps you focus, and it's a sign of respect. Tip number two, avoid multitasking. So this is good for any quality conversation, too. If you're in the middle of something when someone starts trying to talk to you, just ask if they could wait five minutes or 10 or 30 seconds or an hour, however long it's going to take for you to finish the thing that you're doing so that when you do listen, you can give them their full undivided attention. Tip number three, listen for feelings. When you're listening to someone talk, especially in a more serious conversation, ask yourself, what is this person feeling? And when you think you know, ask them. See if that's the way they're feeling. Give them a chance to clarify if you're off. Tip number four, observe body language. That's related. Sometimes body language gives us bigger clues to discerning how someone's feeling than the words they're saying. Gary Chapman says, sometimes body language speaks one message while words speak another. Wise words, Gare Bear. Tip number five, refuse to interrupt, especially if this is a conversation where you're resolving conflict. Chapman says, interruptions stop the conversation before it can start. He says, your objective is not to defend yourself or put the other person straight. It is to understand the person's thoughts, feelings, and desires. When you interrupt too early, you may never discover what the person was really trying to say. This one is hard. We all want to defend ourselves, but if we want to become better listeners, we need to refuse to interrupt. Tip number six, ask reflective questions. When you're pretty sure you have a handle on what the person is is thinking and feeling, ask them, ask, are you saying, fill in the blank, This will prevent miscommunication and misunderstandings because it just gives you a chance to double check and make sure you're on the same page. Tip number seven, express empathy. You may not ever 100% understand what the person is thinking or feeling. You might not fully grasp their perspective, but you don't have to fully understand or even agree in order to empathize. Expressing empathy is validating the other person's feelings even if you don't think they should be feeling that way or that the situation isn't a big enough deal to warrant their response or whatever it is you're hung up on that's making you not want to empathize. If someone is feeling a a negative emotion, at the very least, you can always say, I'm really sorry that you're feeling that way. That sucks. If you're in a conflict, even if you still don't think you did anything wrong, but it's become clear that the other person feels hurt by you, you can always say, I'm really sorry you feel hurt by me. Because aren't we? I mean, if you're sitting with someone and talking to someone that you love at the end of the day and we discover that they're feeling hurt by us, aren't we sorry that they're feeling that way? We don't want to see them sad and hurt and especially not by us. 
if you didn't do anything intentional to hurt them, you can follow it up with, I'm sorry you feel hurt by me. I didn't intend to hurt you. I love you. This type of language is non-defensive. It's not you trying to prove you're in the right and did nothing wrong or that the other person shouldn't be feeling the way they're feeling. When you validate their feelings and you say you're sorry they're feeling that way, when you show empathy, this breaks down walls and barriers. This softens hearts, both theirs and yours. If you can't do this step, your conversation is not going to be productive. You cannot have a quality conversation without empathy. And then tip number eight, ask if there's anything you can do to help. Ask the question, is there anything I can do to help? This is an invitation and expresses a genuine desire to help lift their load. This could not be any more different than giving unsolicited advice. Chapman says, never give advice until you are sure the other person wants it. There is a place for giving advice. That place is when it is invited. So if the person you're talking to lets you help in some way, advice or otherwise, that's great. But if not, if they really just want you to listen and show empathy, that's okay too. The purpose of any quality conversation is to uncover each other's thoughts, feelings, and desires. Whether the conversation is lighter or more serious, the goal is to connect and to make the other person feel known and loved. So the two major ways to make a person whose primary love language is quality time feel known and loved are through the two dialects of quality activities and quality conversation. Now, as we're wrapping up today, I have a couple challenges for us. So first, I have a specific challenge to anyone who is married to someone whose love language is quality time. And then I have this week's challenge for all of us who are doing the love language experiment together. So first of all, if you're married to a quality time person, I challenge you to set aside different increments of time to spend together. Establish a daily rhythm where you have a few minutes of time together uninterrupted, maybe 15 or 20 minutes. It could be that you have a conversation for, for 15 minutes together before bed each night, or maybe you go on a walk together each day after dinner, or maybe you share a cup of, of coffee in the morning first thing every day. Not share a cup, like you're not drinking out of the same cup. You know what I mean? You each have your cup, you talk. It's a quality activity, quality conversation. Do that every day. So that's the first thing. Set a quality conversation or quality activity that you'll do every day and protect that time. And then set a weekly rhythm of a date night. And this can be out and about or simply intentional time spent together at home. It doesn't matter. Date nights are important in any marriage, but especially if one spouse's love language is quality time. And then finally, set a less frequent rhythm of a weekend away with just the two of you. If you can get away on a somewhat regular basis, whether that's once a year or maybe once every couple months, whatever it is for you, this will breathe life into the person whose love language is quality time. From the minute you get home from one getaway, they will already be looking forward to the next. I guarantee it. I love how Chapman responds to the common objection he gets that someone doesn't have time to do these types of things. He says, and where do we find time for such activities? We make time, just as we make time for lunch and dinner. Why? Because it is just as essential to our marriage as meals are to our health. Is it difficult? Does it take careful planning? Yes. Does it mean we have to give up some individual activities? Perhaps. Does it mean we do some things we don't particularly enjoy? Certainly. Is it worth it? Without a doubt. What's in it for me? The pleasure of living with a spouse who feels loved. 
if you're married to a quality time person and you want to keep your spouse happy, pull out your calendar this week and establish these three rhythms, a daily time to be together for a few minutes, a weekly time to be together for a few hours, and a semi-regular time to get away and be together for a few days. And protect that time. Plan for it. Don't allow interruptions to interfere. Your spouse needs time with you in order to feel loved. Now, for all of us, here's this week's challenge for our love language experiment. And if you're jumping in late, that's okay. Just find one or two people this week to do this experiment with you. You'll do what I'm about to say for this week, and then each of the next few weeks, we'll have a different challenge for you guys to do together. So this is what you're going to do this week. This week, carve out a three-hour block of time to spend with the one or two people you're doing this love language experiment with. Make sure you all know when it's happening. Put it on the calendar. It should be sometime between now and this Saturday. Set aside three hours and then choose an activity to do together. You can choose one agreed-upon activity to do for the whole three hours, or you can break up the time. You can each choose an activity. You might even divide the time between you and then plan your activity on your own so that you surprise the other people with what you've decided to do. However you want to do it, do one or more activities together, and then as you do, ask each other questions. Come up with a list beforehand of five questions that you want to ask the other people to prompt some quality conversation as you're doing the activities. And these questions can be fun and silly or more serious, but aim at trying to learn at least one new thing about the person or people you're with. And just in case this needs to be said, these three hours should be a technology-free zone. No phones, no computers, no TVs, nothing that will distract you or steal your attention away from the person or people that you're with. Try to make your activities things that don't rely on screens either. And most of all, have fun. Quality time is awesome. It's simply being with people that you care about. The activities and even the conversations are secondary. It's all just about being together, making memories, clearing away the clutter of everyday life for a few moments so that you can look another person in the eye and say, none of that matters right now. My job can wait. The dishes can wait. The kids can wait. My notifications can wait. All I want right now is to be with you. That is the gift of quality time. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you that you give us this vocabulary that we can use in our, in our quest to love the people in our lives better and to know what to ask for when we're not feeling loved, God. I pray that in these few weeks that we've set aside to focus on this, that, that you'll bless our time both the time we spend listening on Sundays and then the time that we spend practicing during the week, God. I pray that you stir in our hearts, that you use this content to improve our relationships, that you produce great conversations that come out of this, that we can be more open and honest with the people in our life who are closest to us to learn how we best receive love and how they best receive love so we can give them love in that way. And God, most of all, I pray that we will receive your love, that we will remember you as the one who loves us perfectly. You know us perfectly. You know what we need. You meet us in those ways. We are so, so thankful that you have set the bar so high. We know that we can never love the way you do, but we pray that you shape us and make us more like you so we can love the people in our lives better. Amen.